Well, just to uh, reiterate something Thomas said, next week will be one of the most fun weeks of the year for me. I love preacher training camp. We've got 17 wonderful young men who are going to be with us. Some other young men who would love to be with us, but they're going to be gone or be out of town, and that's unfortunate. But we're taking 17 young men that come from a lot of different places, and a lot of them from right here, and we'll be working with them all week. They will preach on Friday, and then on Sunday, uh, we will send them out, and they will preach at various congregations in and around our community, uh, Trent, Buffalo Gap, Merkel, places like that. And so we're excited about the week to come, and we want you to help us kick it off next Sunday night. Uh, the positive there is you get to eat and you don't have to listen to me. Uh, we, every year we bring somebody in to kick off preacher training camp. Wes McAdams will be with us this year. And uh, afterwards we'll have a potluck. And uh, we want all of you to stay for that. It's not just for the preacher training camp kids and their uh, parents, but for everyone. And uh, you know, wish them well for the week and uh, pray for us, uh, Jake and Blake and myself, as we work with them. We have a lot of great uh, teachers and preachers coming in to work with them as well. It's a great week. Um, I want to start by saying that uh, I have taken up running again. Those of you who know me know that I have a love-hate relationship with running. I love the feeling afterwards. I hate doing it. Um, running and I have had an on-and-off-again relationship for a long time. Uh, we start out really well. We get along really well for a few weeks, and then we part ways because we get sick of each other. And then we always come back together because at the end of the day, virtually everyone in my family has had a heart attack. And of all the exercising I can do, running seems like the most simple. I mean, I can walk out my door and start running. I don't have to join a gym. I don't have to drive to anywhere. I can just walk out the door and run. My guess is, if you are a sane individual, you're not going to come up to me tonight after the sermon or even next Sunday night and say, so Chris, you run your first marathon yet? And the reason why you wouldn't do that is because anyone with half a brain knows that you don't set out when you first start running to run 26 point whatever miles. That takes endurance, stamina, something I don't have yet. In fact, I should probably tell you, in all honesty, I walk as much as I run because I have to build up again. I, I run for a little while, then I stop and walk, and I run for a little while. I don't care. I'm not trying to make the Olympics. I just go at my speed. But anyone knows that if you're going to be a big-time, full-fledged, marathon-type runner, you don't just set out and run 26 miles. You build up to that. It takes training. It takes many months to run a marathon. We don't expect someone who first starts running set out and run 26 miles. But you know, it's interesting that we kind of expect that from ourselves when it comes to our spirituality, right? I mean, I think many of us believe that once we come out from those waters of baptism, that now we're a full-fledged Christian, that we've, we've got it all figured out, that we're going to be pure and holy and righteous, and you know, everything's going to work our way spiritually. And if we don't think that when we rise from the waters of baptism, I think there are many Christians who think that that should be the case with other Christians. You know, we just assume that you should be on our level. What's taking you so long? What we don't always realize is that we've been a Christian for many years and perhaps they're still babes in Christ and we don't always give them leeway. But when it comes to our spiritual fitness, when it comes to living a holy life, there are holy habits that we employ 
And there is a persistence, a plotting, and a perseverance that has to happen. We don't expect somebody who's never played the piano to sit down and immediately churn out Bach or Beethoven. Just as we shouldn't expect someone who is a new babe in Christ to be able to reach the mountaintop of their faith immediately. And when we talk about these holy habits, we've talked about so far, we've talked about teaching and and, and prayer and Bible study, and tonight we're talking about one that maybe is not always included in the list, because perhaps we think fasting is something that happened in the Bible but is obsolete now. But I think maybe fasting would be good for us to employ as a holy habit to draw us closer to God. So, we're looking at that tonight. And when we look at fasting, we're looking at it from a standpoint of not a ritual, not something that we do simply out of obligation, not like any of those you know, uh, holy habits that we've talked about so far. None of those are for the sake of just begrudgingly doing them because we feel that we have to. Now, there's a definite purpose for fasting just as there was from the scriptures that we read about it. Unfortunately, when it comes to living a spiritual life, many times we want bite-sized convenience. We want the easy way. And so whether it's Bible study or whether it's prayer or whether it's fasting, whatever it is, we want to take the easy way. I mean, I don't know if you're like me. I fast every day from 10 o'clock at night till 6 o'clock in the morning. And it's easy because I'm asleep, but still. Now, we're talking about something deeper than that, obviously, but many people look at their spiritual livelihood that way or their spiritual fitness as, I just want it easy, kind of like those commercials for like the Bowflex, and that guy's got rippling muscles upon rippling muscles, and he said, I got this way by doing Bowflex 20 minutes a day, three times a week. No, you didn't. There's no way. There's no way you did, right? But that's what we want. That's why fad diets and all these things are popular, because we want easy. We want to lose the weight without having to give up much. And the same is true with our spiritual fitness. A lot of times we want something easy. We don't want to have to work for it. And so new age religions get really popular. Spirituality is a buzzword that you hear thrown around a lot. But what does that really mean? Well, you know, a lot of times being spiritual is just about having the sense of being holy or the feeling of being holy. But there's not a lot of sacrifice involved. There's not a lot of perseverance involved. Here's something I read the other day about a gentleman who practiced meditation as a religion he said this he said what attracted me to meditation was its apparent religious neutrality you don't have to believe anything all you have to do is do it I was worried that reaping the benefits would require some faith that I could only fake but I was happy to learn that 90 percent of meditation is just showing up that's what many of us want out of religion we want convenience we want to just show up That's what we want out of church a lot of times. Let's just show up. Let me sit in a pew. Don't bother me. Don't ask anything of me. Don't put any requirements upon me. But you know as well as I do that Christianity is about dying to yourself. It's about sacrifice. And it's going to take plotting, persistence, perseverance. There are no magic formulas. Catchy little phrases. Don't get it done. This is something that we have to develop over time. Fasting is one of those that helps us to develop this this spiritual fitness in drawing us closer to God. Now, it may seem like an outdated, odd practice for some of us living in this day and age, 
But we see the example of it in Scripture. And if we're going to say that we should be like they were and do what they did, then we have to at least recognize that fasting was a part of their lives. And perhaps it needs to be a part of ours as well. Acts 14.23, the church fasted and prayed as they were appointing elders. And Acts 13.1-3, it indicates that the brethren in Antioch fasted. The apostles took their cue from Jesus And in Matthew chapter 17, we find that Jesus' disciples were unable to cure a man's son who was possessed by a demon. And Jesus comes along, he does what the disciples could not do, and they ask him, how could you heal him, but we could not. And as he talks to them, he says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 and following, Jesus talks about fasting and says whenever you fast do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do you remember all that but it all starts with whenever you fast he didn't say if you fast he assumed that they would fast so whenever you do here's what you're not to do right Go back to the Old Testament, and the Jews fasted frequently, even though there was only one fast that was required under the law. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the Hebrews were to humble or afflict their souls, as Leviticus 16.31 says. This was referred to fasting. Throughout the Old Testament, we find people who fasted when they were in need of divine help. They fasted in times of war or the threat of it, when loved ones were sick, when seeking God's forgiveness or when seeking God's protection. So throughout the Bible, Old Testament to New, we know that fasting was a part of people's lives. Those people that were followers of Jesus, those people that were God's people, fasting was a part of their lives. And so, we at least have to give credence here to what the Bible says about it and how it may apply to us today. You know, growing up Catholic, we observed a season of 40 days known as Lent. Lent began on Ash Wednesday and it ended on Easter Sunday. The whole premise behind Lent was that it's an opportunity to draw closer to God. And one of the things that you do during the Lenten season is you would give up something. And whatever that something was, the idea was that by giving up that something, that would allow you to draw closer to God during that Lenten portion. Now, truth be told, whatever it was you gave up was probably something you need to give up all the time. And truth be told, it really seemed rather ridiculous even at the time that I was living it that you would blow it out the day before on Mardi Gras and engage in all sorts of immorality, you'll have your fun because you're about to have no fun for 40 days, right? But I didn't always take the observance of Lent very seriously. My grandfather did, my mother did. My mother was quite frustrated with me because she would ask me every year, what are you giving up for Lent? One year I gave up wearing my retainer. She didn't like that answer. (laughs) But for many Catholics, the Lenten season is a time to draw closer to God by giving up something. And it's more than a religious ritual. It's an opportunity. And during, during this Lenten season, fasting is engaged in, whether not necessarily for the all 40 days. Some fast periodically during those 40 days, but almost all Catholics will fast on Friday, at least partially. They'll like fast from you know, breakfast till supper and they eat one meal. A lot of times you'll give up like red meat on Friday. That's why you see a lot of the schools serve fish 
on Friday and not red meat, but for whatever the reason, the idea is that you're giving up something, you're fasting, you're giving up food and whatever it else it is that might stand in the way of your relationship with God in order to draw closer to Him. And if you look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17, it says, Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Fasting should be done when the situation calls for it. We don't do it as a formality. We don't do it simply as an obligation. We don't do it because it's a neat thing to do. Or even because the church tells us that we're supposed to do it. All spiritual disciplines that a disciple engages in should be for the purpose of strengthening their relationship with God. And fasting is no different. As with all spiritual disciplines, there are personal benefits, but those should never be the main or primary reason why we do them. I mean, physicians will tell you that periodic uh, fasting helps to cleanse our system. You know, fasting is also a, a, a time where we can be more contemplative right? I mean, there there are benefits to fasting, and the scriptures indicate that God honors fasting when it is done as a token of deep and sincere devotion. You know, I think fasting for us as modern-day Christians, I I think we're wrong to confine it only to food, because I think if, if we're trying to show deep, sincere devotion to God, if we're looking at fasting as a way to draw closer to Him, there are other things that stand in our way probably, other than just food. I know you probably feel the same way, but when I'm talking with someone, I like to have their attention. And when I notice that they're looking off or they're looking past me or they're thinking about what they're going to say next, that, that kind of bothers me. I want you to focus on what I'm talking about just as I'm going to focus on what you're going to say. And and it kind of bothers me when I'm talking to someone and then their phone rings and they pick it up and they they start, you know, looking at it, see who's calling, or they look at a text message. They say, "I'm, I'm listening, go ahead, you know. Well, obviously you're not. And I think sometimes our relationship with God works the same way. I think God's waiting on us to give our full attention, and we may say, yeah, I'm listening, God, you know, I'm here, when we're not really. And so something may be standing in the way of us drawing near to God. So maybe what we need to fast from sometimes is technology. Maybe we need to fast from our phone. Maybe we need to fast from the things that are idols in our lives. And and if you don't know what those are, just look at the things that consume the most of your time. If you look at Scripture, you see that fasting is an appropriate exercise in times of sorrow. We know that David and his men mourned and fasted when they heard about the death of Saul. Nehemiah did something similar when he learned of the devastation of Jerusalem. When David's infant son was sick and was about to die, David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground, Scripture says. It seems that fasting and prayer 
would be appropriate when one of our loved ones is ill. But we also see that fasting was appropriate in times of repentance. As 1 Samuel 7, 6 reads, They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. In the third chapter of the book of Jonah, we find that the people of Nineveh declared a fast in association with the repentance of their sins. But we also see that fasting was associated with particular important life events. Moses fasted during the period in which he was receiving the law. Christ fasted prior to his encounter with Satan in the wilderness. The first church fasted before sending Barnabas and Saul on their first missionary journey. Paul utilized the discipline of fasting during his dynamic ministry, of course. And you think about it, what would be an example where we, as modern-day Christians, might incorporate a fast? What are some major life events that we might use fasting as a way to associate with prayer and drawing closer to God. Perhaps, maybe during an elder selection. Maybe as we pray about a career change. Perhaps when we are contemplating a serious decision confronting our family. Scripture teaches that when fasting is done properly, that it humbles the soul. Psalm 35, 13 reads, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. Fasting, uh, fasting also chastens the soul. Psalm sixty nine ten reads, When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. Maybe the division that we see in our culture should cause us to fast and pray. The fact that there are so many lost souls, maybe that should cause us to fast and to pray. The fact that the church is losing ground in some areas and losing its way, maybe should cause us to fast and pray. The rampant immorality that we see in our world, maybe should cause us to fast and to pray. But again, this isn't just about avoiding food. I think that's the first thing we think of when we hear fast. Okay, I can't eat. But it's about more than just withdrawing from food. It's always about drawing closer to God and strengthening our relationship with Him. And maybe it's not that you go the whole day. Maybe it's something you incorporate at some point during the day. Some folks fast from morning until supper while praying and studying their Bible periodically through the day. Some of you, like I said, fast every night from 10 to about 6 in the morning. Maybe that's not exactly what the Bible's talking about, right? But... Fasting combined with prayer and Bible study for the purpose of drawing closer to God and strengthening your core. I very much think that fasting could be a part of our spiritual discipline today. When entered into correctly, when we understand the reasoning for it, here's something that fasting can accomplish. It can cause us to contemplate what truly matters to us. I think it can force us to assess our lives and to examine what is really, really important to us. I think fasting can be an effective tool in sifting out the idols that we bow down to. I think it maybe can be a way to help us to seek what is driving us, to do an audit of our lives, what is first and foremost in my life. Fasting can help us, I think, realign our priorities. 
Do I only worship God because he blesses me with so much? Am I valuing the blessings more than I do the blesser? Do I truly hunger and thirst for righteousness? You know, Lamentations chapter 3, 24 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. Is the Lord your portion? Is he all you need? If every other blessing in your life were removed, would he be enough? Could you live on him? I think fasting can foster a deeper and more sincere devotion. It can also help us to plumb greater depths of contemplation as we investigate our lives and see if we're living for right things. I think, of course, fasting being associated with food, but, but food is not the only thing that maybe we need to declare a fast from, like we said a moment ago. There are some things that we need to declare a permanent fast from, right? You think about Galatians 5, 19 through 21, where it talks about the fruit of the flesh. All of those things are things that we need to declare a permanent fast from. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, all of those things. Certainly it would do us good to abstain always from the fruit of the flesh, since these things lead to spiritual ruin. But it was also Paul who wrote these words. He said, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What gets in the way of that for you? You know, it's not just about cleansing our body. You know, when we talk about a physical fast, when we talk about physical fitness, we talk about fasting as a way to cleanse our system. I think maybe we need to cleanse our minds so that we can focus on these things that Paul's talking about. Maybe we need to cleanse our hearts, I'm sure we do, and investigate the things that keep us from drawing closer to God. For some of us, we need to declare a fast from Facebook. We're on there way too much and we're saying way too much. Some of us not, might need to declare a fast from television, maybe video games. And I'm not just talking to kids here. I know adults who will spend hours in front of a TV playing video games. Whatever it is that is sucking the spiritual life out of us, whatever it is that is hindering us from drawing closer to God, it's not just food always. If you've never read the book, Not a Fan, by Kyle Eidelman, I highly recommend it. But in that book, Kyle Eidelman tells the story of going to the gym, and he's on one of those elliptical machines, and he's working out, and he's looking out the window into the parking lot. When he sees a gentleman drive up in a really small sports car, he gets out. He didn't know how he fit in it. He's a really large person. And he gets out, and he goes to the back, and he pulls out his gym bag. He's dressed in a suit, but he pulls out his gym bag, and obviously he's coming in to work out. But before he leaves the parking lot, he reaches in his car and pulls out one more thing, and it's a cup, a blue cup with a red spoon in it. Have any idea what that would be? It was a blizzard from Dairy Queen. And he sits out in the parking lot, and he scarfs it down before he comes in and works out. That's my kind of guy right there, right? You only work out so you can eat whatever you want. Obviously, this gentleman wanted to have his blizzard and a rock-hard body at the same time. And when we talk about our spiritual livelihood and we talk about spiritual fitness, you can't have your blizzard and eat it too, right? When we talk about holy habits, 
These are things that we invest in and that we commit to and that we seek to draw closer to God by doing those things. Do I think fasting can be a way to do that? Absolutely. I'm not saying you have to, but I think it absolutely can. But I would say this. Whether we're talking about food or whatever it is, don't let anything hinder you from being as close to God as possible. Remember when we talked about, uh, it's been several months now, that Caleb wholly or fully followed the Lord? And we talked about how that word, wholly followed or fully followed, that it's a proximity word. It's talking about a hunt closing in on his prey. The idea is that you want to be as close to the one you're following as possible. It's, I mean, you're right on his heels. And hopefully that is our goal. We want to be as close to Jesus as possible. We want to be hot on his heels. Kind of like when I used to make my mom mad, pushing the grocery cart and running over her heels in the grocery store. Kids, you ever do that? My mom gets so mad at me. Because I wouldn't pay attention, I'd run over her heels and she'd turn around, Chris, stop that. We want to be so close to Jesus that we're running up on his heels. And whatever hinders that, we need to declare a fast from. Not just periodically, not just for some time, but permanently. Right? Thank you for listening today. It's been a great day. I love Sundays. In coaching terminology, Sunday is game day for me. I love game days. I love when we can come together, when we can gather, and when we can be a family in the same room, worshiping the same God. But remember, you're not just a child of God here. You're the church out there as well. So as we go throughout our week, let's seek to be changed by Sunday, allowing our worship to make us different and better through the week. Take what we have done today and help it to change somebody else this week. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, come as we stand and as we sing.